you know, I don't want you to go and board your windows up and, and never set foot outside, but I want you to, to arm yourself with the knowledge. Right. And, and the analogy I give is that, you know, if you're going to go hiking in the woods, you know what a, what, what a rattlesnake looks like, you know what poison ivy looks like. So if you're going to go out in this environment, you need to learn the signs and what to look for. Absolutely. Because it's the only way we can really protect ourselves. Right. And, and, you know, and that's why we try to give kids, you know, that knowledge and, and teach them how to, you know, how to protect themselves and, and what to do when they're in danger. Because it's so critical, you know, those few, you know, those few minutes or those few seconds they have to respond that, that they do it wisely so they don't fall victim because, you know, it can happen pretty quick. Hey, listeners. Welcome to Unseen, the Trafficked Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Rowland. You're going to get to hear true sex trafficking crime stories. These are stories that maybe never made it to headlines. Maybe they weren't believed. And you're going to get to hear from survivors themselves tell the truths of sex trafficking. Join us. And remember, listener discretion is advised. We understand the the greatness about our community and we know the struggles of our community and I think that that is something to be excited for when we can come together and share stories like ours and be a voice for those who need us. You are worthy, you know, and you are, you're precious, you know, you're beautiful and in spite of what you're going through of what you've gone through, it does not determine who you are going to be in the future. Just being able to tell my story to that one person who can relate or that one person who believes me. All that mess you went through, there's a message in there and there's a message of hope and transparency and freedom for somebody else. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Your freedom is in your mouth and it's the key to somebody else's chains. You matter and your story matters always. You're taking the voices of the unheard and you're letting them be heard in a very safe space. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Rome Elam. He's the president and CEO of Trafficking in America Task Force. He has quite a story today. And also, we are privileged and honored to share his piece in the documentary, The Silence, by Cleo Tellier. You can find her on Instagram at C-L-E-O-T-E-L-L-I-E-R. Cleo is the director and producer of this documentary, The Silence, and she gave us permission to share her documentary. We'd like to take this moment and thank Anne, Leslie, and Isabel, the other participants of the documentary, I was born into uh, a family that was rife with alcoholism, child abuse, domestic violence. My mother went about finding every dirt bag she could to date. One of these, she eventually married, and he was the one that began to molest me. And he belonged to a pedophile ring that he took me to the pedophile ring and they basically made me their property and they trafficked me for seven years. 
either you're walked or dragged or carried, you're given drugs and alcohol, and, and then you're just shoved in the room. Uh, the person basically just does what they want. You, you begin to see your worth as a sex object, and that's how you're defined. Um, you're made to feel you, you don't matter. You're basically brainwashed into thinking that you deserve it. I was told frequently that I was selfish. being trafficked, my ribs were broken, you know, I was slapped, kicked, punched. I was actually molested by one of my teachers that I told. The people around me um, just didn't notice. I was labeled as uh, melodramatic, accident-prone, and attention-seeking. I, w I was just desperate for somebody to love me and to make me feel like I mattered, you know, at least for a minute. I loved your piece on the documentary that I definitely want to highlight as well so that we can also have the um, listeners view that and, you know, get some more, gain some more traction yeah. with that because that was compelling. Like I'm. Yeah. I'm, you know, uh, also just to let you know, we're actually translating that, that route into Ukrainian. I spent a week, you know, I had to get up at four in the morning, <laughs> but I spent a week. I was, um, I educated judges and prosecutors in Ukraine on um, online child exploitation and how to get, how to help children testify in court when they've been victims. So it's been a week, you know, getting up and educating Ukraine. So in talking to them, you know, I shared that documentary with them and, and suggested they, you know, if they might want to share it. So we're working now to translate it uh, into Ukrainian to be shared throughout the country. Wow. So it's, it's been really great. But, you know, she did such a phenomenal job, you know, on that documentary. And, you know, she's such a phenomenal person in general as well. So it, it's really great to have that. And she really, you know, ha had such a passion when she actually did it. Um, you know, I was just totally impressed, you know, 19 years old to make something <laughs> oh like goodness. that. Like, wow. She's 19? No, she's, you know, oh, this okay. was uh, 15. Okay, okay, so okay. So like 24 now, I think. Okay. But, you know, wow. she's been in, in, her, in her, you know, she's been in, in the entertainment industry all her life. Okay. So she really has a good feel for it. Okay. Um, but she made that, you know, uh, when she was 19 and when she was in graduate school, and just to such a phenomenal job with it. But, um, That's amazing. you know, just a real talent for getting into, you know, the shoes of a victim or survivor and telling right. her story. Absolutely. So like, really happened to be a part of that. So it was amazing. Thank you for sharing that because I, yeah. that's exactly how I retain information and learn. It was so compelling, it was straight to the point. Yep. It was from your voices and it, it really captured the audiences and, and gave delivered what they needed to know. It wasn't a yeah. lot of hoop and ha beforehand and a, not a lot of commentary from reporters or whoever after. Yeah. It's really about 
the survivors and the, the truth tellers. I say it's truth tellers now because some, yep. some survivors are like, I'm not a survivor. I have some lived experiences and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, truth teller. Well, we, we, we call it thriver. Thriver. See, victim, survivor, thriver. That. So that's victim, survivor, thriver. You better coin that yeah. now, Jerome. You better coin yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're just excited how this connection formed. And again, it's amazing to not just have you tell your story, you have it depicted in, you know, like a documentary. Now you're yeah. on a podcast and I don't use the video, but yeah. For the listeners, you're making yourself available and your story's becoming available because I even saw it on social media. So how the tables have turned, huh? I think you're becoming more of a comment on the on the web now as opposed to maybe how it started with you. Yeah, you know, and it's an amazing story that I can talk about, you know, because I kept my silence for like 40 years Ooh. and there was a point in my life where I you know, really felt like my life wasn't going in the direction um, that I wanted it to. I mean, I guess, you know, I, I called myself a chaos junkie because I, I would, I would uh, subconsciously choose relationships that were just going to crash and burn. And so I, I just at some point, you know, I, I just was tired of that happening. So I, I got, you know, I got into therapy and I spent 25 years in talk therapy. Uh, and then, you know, just telling my, my therapist, but then in 2011, when Jerry Sandusky got arrested, you know, there was something inside me that said, you know, you've got to speak out about this. So, you know, I had uh, gone to college and then uh, I worked in biotechnology for over 20, 20 years doing molecular biology and gene therapy. And um, in 2011, when Sandusky, you know, came out uh, and was arrested, I felt like I had to speak out. So I wrote an article and I entitled it An End to Silence. And then I sent it out to all the news outlets. And it was actually picked up by the Washington Times. And they said, well, we'll publish in our community section, like, you know, on a one-time basis, and we can't pay you. And I said, no problem. I just want to, you know, speak out. So they published it. And it did so well. They were like, well, hey, Jerome, why don't you want to write a column for us? And so I was like, sure. Yes. You know, sure. And, and you know, uh, as long as I can do child advocacy and, you know, and, and I think, you know, what really is kind of striking is, you know, I, I wrote the article at 85 percent out of anger because I was I was angry that Jerry Sandusky might get off. And so when you put yourself out there publicly. Right. I think there's a big learning curve. And so, yep. you know, at some point you say, oh, my God, what did I just do? What did I just do? <laughs> and, but, you know. I began to get contacted by people from wow. South Africa, the UK, Saudi Arabia, all over. People saying, thank you so much. You just told my story. And this is both men and women. And so everything kind of evolved from there into, you know, being asked to speak and, and then um, being asked to work with law enforcement. And then in, you know, 2016, I was invited by the Council of Europe to speak on the International Day of the Child. So I was in Strasbourg, France with survivors from 10 countries. And it was just an amazing experience. You know, Nigeria and the Netherlands, you know, it was really amazing. And then I ended up also, you know, going to, I spoke in Switzerland, wow. uh, in, in the Netherlands. So it's been an incredible journey. I was at the United Nations. So it's been an incredible journey to be able to have the opportunities. But just for that one article, and kind of speak and kind of speaking out. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it just kind of evolved from there. 
and I was able to travel and, and, and raise awareness. And then just the people I began to work with, you know, I mean, I, I've uh, lectured at the National Center for Mixed Exploited Children, um, been in Congress. I've worked on three congressional bills now. We worked, I was part of the coalition of survivors, advocates, congressmen and women, and nonprofit that shut Backpage.com down, Woo! which was yes. which was the largest online brothel, you know, in the world. And we fought for two years solid, um, and uh, we we you know it almost didn't happen because at the last moment they tried to strip civil liability out of the amendment that we were, were trying to get passed. So we luckily had a congresswoman who came and added that back in to have civil liability because without civil liability, it's kind of meaningless. So we're able to go to shut back page down and save a lot of people who, you know, would have been trafficked. So, you know, it's just been an incredible, incredible journey. And I've I've been so happy to be able to do the work that I do. But like you say, I mean, it's, it's, you know, every day, I just, I wish that we had more awareness. We had more programs and that people were just more cognizant. Because one of the things that is kind of frustrating is that people don't really want to acknowledge it happens domestically. You know, they don't want to think about it happens in this country when it does, you know, quite egregiously, you know, it, it's really rampant. So um, people just don't want to look around and say, well, hey, you know, my neighbor could be involved in this. You know, someone, somebody six, six next to in church could be involved in this. So, you know, it, it, it's really rampant. I mean, I just put something out the other day about an Ohio attorney who had been trafficking kids for 12 years and he yes. got caught. Yes. So, so it, it, you know, it's really not years. exclusive to any particular gender or you know socioeconomic status because anyone can be be a victim and traffickers you know span that full gambit yes. you know of people. So it, it's been, it's just been uh, it's been crazy. But again, like I say, I mean you know it, just more often than not, people are always shocked when when I tell them that kids in this country are being sold and it's not all you know, third world countries that, that are, are, are selling kids. So um, it, it's been great to raise awareness, but I just wish more people would, absolutely. Um, you know, would just dive into it, you know, get, get the knowledge and be able to keep their eyes open and make that phone call if they think anybody is being a victim of you and trafficking. So. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it has to be captivating to the audiences because we, we know that there's a news articles, like you said, I follow you on the on yeah. social media and the stories are just too shocking to even be, even believe. And they're, yeah. it's still not raising the awareness that we think that we should oh, it's not. have. You know what it's I mean? It's, it's, it it's is. Like, you know, what do you we, need? You know, we, see, we see people like Epstein. Right. And Epstein's been... You know, fortunately, unfortunately, pushing the boundaries of our perception of what goes on. But I will tell you, you know this. I mean, there are so much more, uh, you know, more horrific stories out there that I hear from people that would just boggle uh, a person's imagination. Exactly. In terms of, you know, what goes on, especially on the dark web. Mm. when it when it relates to children mm. so it's you know and and you know you've really got to separate facts from fact from fiction but right. there's a lot of crimes that go out there you know i think they i just got a news flash a minute ago about 45 kids being rescued mm. uh from human trafficking so um this happens a lot a lot and and unfortunately you know um you know uh there is there is no mandatory reporting law for kids that go missing out of foster care so in some in some areas, if a kid goes missing out of foster care, they don't have to report them. So in LA County, 
Um, I think it was 59% of the kids they picked up who were victims of child sex trafficking were from foster care or CPS. Ugh. So that's a, a big conduit, you know, into the world of trafficking, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, traffickers will actually send recruiters in right. to foster homes and the CPS right. to right. recruit kids. So. Right. And, you know, and I, and, and thankfully, you're just an amazing person, right? So you Thank didn't you. you you agreed to come to this podcast on the podcast to share information. You don't know us from a can of paint, and <laughs> I didn't even get to you know share my intro, my bio either. But I'm currently in Hawaii, and I work with the youth, and I work in the only CSEC specific shelter on wow. island on Oahu. Isn't that crazy? And it's like. We, and I work with a lot of foster care kids. So when you said that, it brought me to, you know, want to ask you, like, is there anything that we can work on for things like that? Like the mandatory reporting after they go missing? Like that is, that is crazy. We have the Amber alert. We have the, uh, what is it? Gold or silver alert. And, you know, we have, I think there was this one woman in Texas, I think that she was able to work with the, um, I think it's called like the clear alert or something, but yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there, if, if someone like yourself was able to initiate some type of, uh, you know, alert for something like you just mentioned, because I see it on the yeah. daily and it's very, very hard to be in this field and see this kind of, not just hear the stories, but see this kind of, I guess, negligence on yeah. the community's part. Yeah. And, and again, you know, one of the things that we do engage in, which is which we really love, is educating foster parents. So we, we get into educating foster parents who, you know, will have kids come in who are victims of trafficking. And it's, it's always good to get them educated. So they're, you know, they have the tools, because, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation, especially when you have a kid that's been sexually trafficked, to understand how they're going to react, you know, what they're going through. So, we, you know, we definitely try and, and educate foster parents. But, you know, we're really trying to get, you know, legislation passed that tracks these kids. The FBI has an initiative call, called uh, Innocence Lost. And, um, you know, they've actually rescued a lot of kids. And a lot of the kids that they rescued were never reported missing. Also, one of the things that that shocks people is, you know, uh, according to the Covenant House, you know, 36% of, of victims of child sex trafficking are trafficked by their families. Now, this happens um, on a rampant scale. And, I, you know, I'm one of those people that, that's experienced that. And from a like, psychological standpoint, it really is devastating to have your trust shattered at that deepest level. And, you know, when I talk to you know, mental health professionals, they definitely agree that it's one of those difficult situations to work with somebody who's coming from a, a family that's, that's trafficked them because you really just don't know uh, which way is up and you don't understand uh, any concept of normalcy. So, you know, it, it's a real challenge and we try to help as much, much as we can. But, you know, I, I think the, the number one factor when you look at when you look at look at especially kids and even in adults is a lot of these victims have never known one second of unconditional love. They don't understand what healthy love is, and so they don't understand that. So the trafficker comes along or the sexual predator comes along, and they pay attention to the kid, which they've never had that before, and so they're able to groom that child or, or, or that person 
and, and really just, you know, get them uh, into a situation they feel like they can't escape. Right. That's very and, hard to and, get and, out. You know, and one of the bills I worked on with Congress is the, uh, is the use of uh, illegal substances like opiates as a tool which human traffickers will, will you know, will, will get, get somebody and, you know, they'll get them addicted to opiates or heroin or whatever and use that to control them. Control them. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to get, you know, language in a law that says that that's a major, that's a felony, that's a major crime to do that to someone. But just so many control tactics that, that are put in place that we try and just make people aware of. But in general, just getting the public to look at, look around them, you know, and, and if they see anything suspicious to report it uh, because, you know, labor trafficking, sex trafficking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I did a conference um, last year in New York on organ trafficking and organ trafficking mm-hmm. is actually on the rise um, in the U.S. right now because it's such a, such a, um, a big moneymaker for human traffickers. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the things that, you know, we're trying to raise awareness is is the use of cryptocurrency oh. in, in human trafficking because, you know, Bitcoin and other modalities are now commonly used by human traffickers in buying and selling people or organs. So it evolves very rapidly. So we're trying to just, you know, get the law to keep up with the crime. Trying to keep up with the trend, yeah. I can't imagine the trends are, are just going by speed of light. So... I do want to ask a few things because, man, you—it's just this is exactly what I needed, and I think yeah. needed the audience needs. And if I can, I wanted to start season two with this episode. Not only your survivor story, you have the documentary, and that's the premise of this podcast, but also you are a male survivor, and you yeah. have you are the CEO of your task force, so you are still yeah. doing the work, not yeah. only after, you know, so many years of your truth finally being told, and then, you know, you, you surviving and thriving. So one of the things I wanted to ask was, why did you think that the response from all of the international folks coming to you after your article, why was that so, I guess, acknowledged? Why was your article so acknowledged from international folks as opposed to domestic and it was around the time of the Sandusky case so you yeah. would think unfortunately you know the UK and others have been ahead of us in okay. terms of addressing this issue I mean they've had the scandals with the uh, pedophile rings in London for many 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 years okay. I mean five rings that were trafficking kids out of uh, Wales and Ireland and others Jeez. so that's been something that, that's been brought in a strong relief in London, and they've been fighting that battle uh, publicly longer than we have. So it's more readily uh, acknowledged and accepted um, in the UK. And so they're they're more willing to talk about it. So that's why I think, you know, I I tend tend to get more contact from Mm -hmm. those areas. And also, you know, South Africa, Australia as well. I mean, both those countries and many others, I mean, there's been a rampant problem there that is, it has been, you know, in the public's eye for a lot longer, whereas, you know, we're still struggling here mm-hmm. to, um, to get the domestic trafficking of children publicly acknowledged. Acknowledged, so people right. So in this country, people in this country were not, you know, it, it's unfortunate, like, you know, I mean, you know, until it impacts your life. Right. People just aren't inclined to really, you know, engage and talk about it. Yep. You know, I tell people, I say, well, I want to educate you so it doesn't happen. 
So what hap- what ends up coming around is, you know, they come back to me when, when other friends or their own kids uh, are trafficked or sexually abused, and, and then they're in the panic. Right. So it's hard to get people to acknowledge this um, until, you know, until they're exposed to it right. on a personal basis. Exactly. And, and again, that's where we kind of struggle here. But I think that it's been so rampant in um, other countries that the public really has, you know, that sense of outrage has really, um, you know, come to fruition within right. these other countries. And so they're more ready to engage in that, mm. uh, that discussion than they are uh, in the U.S. I mean, we have a real problem in this country, unfortunately, is that, you know, uh, you know, issues like this tend to last a news cycle. And then once that news cycle is gone, people, uh, you know, forget about that one of the things I got really angry uh, you That's know, right, Jerome. Speak Jerry, these after, truths, Jerome. Yeah, yes. Yeah, at, you know, at, well, after Jerry Sandusky got arrested, you know, I really felt like that people, the sentiment was that they felt like with him in jail, there were no more sexual predators. Right. I got really angry and I wrote an article and I said, well, what if Jerry Sandusky had never been caught and he moved next door to you? I said, how would you, how would you know that this guy was a, was a sexual predator? Uh, and, and we really got, you know, and I said, you know, I don't want you to go and board your windows up and, and never set foot outside, but I want you to, to arm yourself with the knowledge. Right. And, and the analogy I give is that, you know, if you're going to go hiking in the woods, you know what a, what, what a rattlesnake looks like, you know what poison ivy looks like. So if you're going to go out in this environment, you need to learn the signs and what to look for. Absolutely. Because it's the only way we can really protect ourselves. Right. And, and, you know, and that's why we try to give kids, you know, that knowledge and and teach them how to you know how to protect themselves and and what to do when they're in danger because it's so critical you know those few you know those few minutes or those few seconds they have to respond that that they do it wisely so they don't fall victim because you know it can happen pretty quick absolutely and that brings me to um your background in when you formed this task force and is this what led to you kind of putting this together and starting this? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, it kind of was, you know, a progression, you know, I had some very close friends who um, were running this nonprofit and they felt like that as many do that human trafficking was endemic to our culture, that we're never going to solve the problem of human trafficking without, you know, changing the culture. So they formed another nonprofit um, to, uh, to tackle that issue. And so I, they, they, they asked if I would take this over and I did. And so, and I was able to, um, you know, take it from a national to an international organization and to, um, and to kind of expand and and do more work. And so it's been really good, but you know, like I say, I mean, there's always more that you can do. And so we're really trying to be expansive. I mean, you know, I just, you know, I just came from uh, doing a conference, in India, uh, where we're looking at sexual violence against women. Mm. And that's something that we're very much engaged in because um, that's something that just that is just, uh, you know, rampant globally. And one of the things that makes me angry, and I know you as well, is, mm-hmm. is that, number one, victims aren't believed. Number two, that it seems like the victim gets put on trial, not the perpetrator. The time. Um, you know, very heartbreaking. Maybe you saw it. We just had an 11-year-old girl take her own life because her, her molester um, got out on bail. 
And she was so incredibly terrified. This guy was going to come after her. She took her own life. So those are the things that keep me fired up and keep me motivated so that not, that has not been another person, you know, I've lost, you know, several friends who are survivors because it's a struggle. You know, you struggle against that, against that dark, you struggle against depression, you know? And and so a lot of times it just becomes too much. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so thankful that I have the support system that I do and I've been able to recover. But, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, 25 years of talk therapy, I wouldn't have the tools I need to cope. But I will tell you, first and foremost, you know, I would not be here if it wasn't for a female survivor who took me aside and taught me that I could be a man, be a victim, you know, have been powerless uh, and still be a man. Because, you know, uh, it is, you know, because as, as men, male victims of sexual trauma have 14 times the suicide rate and 32 times the rate of drug abuse than the normal. And I think we're 53% times the normal for violent crime. So it's a very shocking statistic. And also another one that, that's really shocking is that you know, the CDC did a study of all victims of sexual violence they saw in a year, and they calculated the lifetime cost, and that came out to be $134, oh $134 billion, billion for just that one year of lifetime costs for, for therapy, for, for, you know, for rehabilitation, for emergency room business, for incarceration. So physically, morally, and spiritually, it's just a a real earth-shattering crime that occurs. So we just got to come together as a global community and kind of fight this. Absolutely. Uh, And and again, that's, you know, why we're both doing this, to Mm -hmm. make sure people um, understand and and are armed with that knowledge uh, to be able to make a difference. Absolutely. And so you're, you know, what it sounds like to me too, and if other survivors are listening, um, and we'll talk about it maybe at the end, is some solutions to not only help our community, our allies who want to do something, but also a message to the survivors that, you know, you can maybe start with telling your story or you can start and, you know, feel like you are being heard and we believe you, we're there, therapy does help, even in the, you know, some of the populations like we, I cover a lot are people of color, it's already a stigma to not seek therapy or to yeah. get the help that they need, let alone telling their story because they wouldn't right. be believed. I mean, how many survivors have we spoke to where they've told and still nothing came about it, you know? Right. And, and just the example that you use, there is something about it, but maybe it's just not enough that was done you know, yeah. there's so many layers, Jerome, right? Well, you know, we're, you know, it's a real travesty, uh, the path to justice for most victims and survivors. Because, you know, one of the things that you can, you know, when you talk about, for instance, Jerry Sandusky, if it wasn't for the sheer volume of young men that came forward with the same story, not connected at all, and, you know, that's the only way that he was actually convicted. So, um, you know, it's a real struggle and one of the issues that we have in particular when we talk about human trafficking cases is when a, a, a case against a trafficker falls apart, usually it's because the victim won't testify. Right. Because they get so terrified mm-hmm. that if this person doesn't get, doesn't get put away, they're going to mm-hmm. come after them. 
and they're feels so, they probably feel so alone and that is yeah. not it's just happening to them or they are you know they're alone in this fight and you know yeah. they won't have any support even after let alone during yeah. i can't i can't imagine how you felt with being one of the very few survive male survivors that's even speaking out and doing the work and publicly yeah. continuing to do the work not just you know with legislation and and things of that sort your your face is out there Jerome and that's what's really compelling and I'm just again Thank I just you. can't tell you how much I'm honored to be able to have this conversation with you and I have like so many questions and I just want <laughs> to respect your time but I also you're we're speaking the same language like we are with each other and trying yeah. to do the right thing and we know what is working right now because we have so many organizations right raising awareness doing prevention yeah. like you said there's curriculums that i have for my kids at the shelter and it's yeah. an ongoing you know it's an ongoing um cycle of mistakes <laughs> trial by error you oh. know what we're doing <laughs> no exactly and i think again we learn you know it's always a learning process you know as we move forward you know one of the things we're doing is you know we're we're uh, getting advocates assigned to victims that come, come forward, but also making sure that in the process of testifying, there's a support system there for them and that they have, you know, uh, they have, you know, therapy uh, or whatever else, they, you know, job training. And if they have kids, the kids are taken care of. So all these things you've really got to put in place and make it continuous, you know, after their testimony's done. So you help them, you know, move to a place where they're not in that victim mode anymore and they can become a survivor than a thriver and, and kind of move forward. So there's all kinds of things that we can do in general to help this process improve and talking to your legislators, you know, making sure that you're involved in, in issues that, that come forward, that, that they're addressing it. One of the problems that we have is we talk to legislators and they write laws, but the laws have no funding so it's kind of like pointless because you got this law, but then you don't fund it. So it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. So um, mm-hmm. we're, we're very adamant about providing everyone a place to go. And, you know, uh, especially LGBTQ survivors yes. who have an incredible struggle yeah. in terms of, of, you know, not having the resources at all, period. You know, they want to shove mm-hmm. the, them into homeless shelters doesn't work. And just for your own reference and, and the listeners, I mean, Cindy Lopper has a foundation called True Colors, okay. which they have a homeless shelter in New York that she helped fund out of her own pocket. Wow. And they will actually help get LGBTQ uh, victim and survivors into a safe place where they're protected. And we've done that okay. um, before. You know, we had a transgender individual who actually um, had a bounty on their head of $10,000 by their trafficker that we help get into a safe place. Wow. So again, there's got to be those resources out there. I mean, it's hard enough yeah. right. just finding a bed for, as you know, and yes. finding a bed Absolutely. for, you know, for one person. For one. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's something we've, we've got to improve dramatically. Yes. And we've got to get services that are tailored to victims of human trafficking, yes. gender specific, mm-hmm. um, or it's not going to work because, yes. you know, you don't, you don't want your safe house to be a revolving door. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to have... Now, you're going to have recidivism. You have people right. who are going to come back. But you want to make sure that what they need is there. Yes. That they're not going to leave because they don't have the resources they need. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we've really got to be supportive. And you and I know, I mean, especially right now, you've got to have 
a good drug and alcohol rehabilitation program married to a recovery program for for exploitation or trafficking because those two got to go kind of go hand in hand a lot of times. So you got to make sure there is a complete recovery from all these situations because we don't want them to slip back into that that habit again and be lost. So right. So tell us as the president and CEO of the Trafficking in America Task Force as if you were talking to that one survivor who's listening, can you tell them what you do and how you can help or who you can connect them to? Because they might be one foot out. Yeah. Ready to go. What do you think? First of all, you know, what I want to say to every victim and survivor is that you matter and your story matters always. And that you are worthy of love and that, you know, although you may not see it right now, you're beautiful inside and out. And that if you just hang in there and give it time that you're not alone, you, you know, you and I are here to support them, that it will get better. Because I will tell you, and, and you know this, 20 years ago, I never would imagine that I would be sitting here right now. I could not envision it. You know, it's hard for me to remember what that was like sometimes because my life was so chaotic. And, and I was, you know, I was really struggling with so much at that time. Um, but, you know, just over time, I was able to begin healing and to improve my life. Now, I do want to say that my wife has been <laughs> one of the biggest healing forces. You know, she's my North Star. She's Amen. the one that helped me. But I think the number one most prolific healing force has been my children because mm-hmm. they've really just, you know, every day taught me what it means to be loved unconditionally and to give unconditional love. And one of the things that I think people don't really understand is that, you know, as a child victim uh, or as a victim in general, one of the grooming tactics is they make you blame yourself. It's your fault. So it wasn't until, you know, my kids got to be five and I could look at them and say, there's no way in heck that a 25 pound boy could defend himself against a 250 pound man and, and that, that, you know, because you're always saying, I should, have, I should have been able to do, I should have done something. I should have done something. But that's not true because you were powerless in that okay. situation. So it's all about finding your power. And it's been right there all along. I mean, mm. people have tried to convince you it's not there, but it is right there. I always say, you know, it's kind of like a pilot light inside us, like hope. But we can just turn that flame up to an inferno and really just, you know, go out and conquer, you know, everything that we felt has stood in our way and really be a force for good and for change in the world. So I think that to, to every survivor and victim, you know, we're here to support you. You know, we're here to to help you find the services you need and to really, you know, uh, you know, walk that path. But understand that we're, we're going to be right on that path ahead of you, leading mm-hmm. the way and guiding you through the whole process because, you know, it gets pretty rough. I mean, there are rough patches there, you know? And I just want to say that for every victim and survivor, for myself, every time I do an interview like this, every time I speak, every time, you know, I talk about this, it's me shouting at the top of my lungs to the people who tried to break my spirit and, and, and exploit me that they could not break my spirit and they will not. And I am going to work every day to, to, to make sure that not one more child suffers as I did. I'm speechless. I, (laughs) oh my God, I'm just like trying to fight back all those tears because for a moment there, I felt like that one kid that I needed you, I needed to hear that as well 15 years ago. I, you know, 15 years ago, I didn't have that 
power in my voice like I do now. And I would not be sitting here either. Well, I wouldn't even be imagining sitting here doing this and having a conversation with you. But I just felt like my world just stopped and I just heard you. I feel (laughs) so heard. And I hope you know that this is this is it for me. This is, this is why I did this. And I thank you so much. And you put it in words that I'm not saying only survivors would know, but almost in a preventative way too, because we can have an ally or a friend, or, you know, like you said, your spouse or your, or a child that's listening to this and is, is now has the power to also become more engaged with survivors yeah. or look out more for victims, get the strength yeah. to say something if you see something. Exactly. You know, and, and for me, I was in Baltimore three years ago at a conference. I had a 76-year-old woman for the first time in her life come and tell me, you know, she had been trafficked, she had been molested, she had oh been sexually goodness. exploited. And you could see that weight lift off of her when she told me that. And I saw her later and she was smiling. And I just was like, you know, this is exactly why I do this. Because if I can be, if I can empower one victim, one survivor, then my work is done. Because we really look at it as one victim, one survivor at a time. So we can empower them, give them a voice. That's so critically important because so many people struggle with speaking out. And so many people um, have had such bad experiences. I will tell you from my own, it it was seven years of my life and I tried to tell 10 people. And one of those people was a emergency room doctor who did not believe me because I came in with three bruised ribs and whispered in his ear that I was being hurt and I was being abused. I need help. But the trafficker had told him that, you know, I was accident prone, melodramatic and attention seeking. So, um, Turns out that this doctor, you know, turns around and tells the trafficker what I said. <gasps> but so I come back three hours later with three broken ribs <gasps> as a lesson not to not to speak out. Not to speak out. So, yeah. And then in addition to that, you know, o- over that seven year period, I tried to tell a female teacher who began molesting me. <gasps> so all these, you know, all these kind of barriers that that were there. And you know my story. I mean, the only way that I got out of, you know, being trafficked from age five to age 12 is that I had just become so hopeless. I mean, I just felt like my life was meaningless. So I, you know, I went to my mother's medicine cabinet. I got a bottle of sleeping pills, got a bottle of vodka out of the, out of the liquor cabinet. I went to my mother's rose garden, which, you know, she loved the roses more than she loved me. So, and I, and I sat down, you know, took the pills, you know, drank the vodka and kind of drifted off to sleep, you know, and felt this sense of peace I had never known before. Then I heard a voice speaking to me and it said, your time on earth isn't done. I want you to go back and fight for every child who's suffering as you have. And I realized after a minute or so that it was the voice of my friend, Steve, who was an African-American boy who was a friend of mine, who I saw murdered in front of me, strangled to death, who was speaking to me. And I woke up in the emergency room, you know, I had been gone for three minutes. And since that point, you know, I just have had such a fire in my heart to go out and fight for things and i can still i can still feel steve with me every day he's he's my guardian angel man hey it's victoria so thanks for tuning in today that might have been a lot but i appreciate you for tuning in listening and just being a part of the traffic truce the time is now and i also wanted to ask 
If you want to share your survivor story, or if you have a topic that you just want us to cover to raise more awareness, let me know at Gmail or on Instagram, unseenttttpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram.